0: good morning it was great to be back here at Calvary Church and uh, to see so many uh, so many familiar faces and um, I uh, was again as Tom mentioned I was here for several years and um, and it was uh, by far uh, a trance one of my most transformative experiences as God reached into my own heart to um, to to change me, change my thinking, and not only that, but to move me in ministry um, where I, I I simply would not have done it uh, on my own. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But it's just great to be back here at Calvary Church uh, to see uh, to see old friends. Uh, I'm so delighted that uh, my wife Tanya is here with me, and uh, she's right up here just in case. Um, Somebody thinks that she doesn't belong to somebody. She belongs to me, and so um, so it's good. Uh, It's it's just good to be together as we um, as we move in in ministry. We have um, like almost like our kids are grown. Like I have an adult son, 21 years old. I just never thought I would never thought we'd never get there. Like 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 he is a he is an adult. 21-year-old, he's off to Moody Bible Institute next month, and um, yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll be studying Bible exposition, and so just really excited about what God is doing in his life. Have an 18-year-old at Wayne State, Micah, and, uh, and then we have Michaela, who's our baby. Um, is our, she's a junior in high school, and uh, she is driving, and she just has, her, has us wrapped around her finger. Uh, just wanted you to know that. Just give you an update as to where we are, uh, where we are as a family. All right. So let me let me ask you a question. And uh, and I want you to respond back to me. All right. So so uh, who's who, who's um, we're, we're going to ask the question? Who's the goat? The goat is the greatest of all times. All right. Who's the goat? LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Yeah, this is much better than the last crowd. All right, like there's like feels like a fight is about to break out. All right, all right, that's good. Uh, How about this one? Uh, The greatest greatest movie, uh, Gone with the Wind, Lord of the Rings. (laughs) We just split the room. All right, Uh, Apple or Android? This is this is cool. This is uh, this is cool. She waited until everybody said Apple and then she said Android. <laughs> all right, all right. So, you know, it's, we, we've asked questions like this all throughout history. And if we worked the room, we would keep going. If you want to do football, if you want to do um, other kinds of things, we, we have always asked the question, who or what is the greatest of all times? There's something in us. That, that desires to understand what is the supreme in this particular area, whatever area it is. And, and there's, there's something driving that. There's something in us that wants to know. And, and just as we ask the question, just as there's a debate on what is the greatest and who is the greatest in our culture, that same question was asked and was debated in Jesus' time as well. They, they, They debated this question and the question was not the greatest basketball player or sports person, it was what is the greatest law? what what is the what is the most important and what is the supreme law or command of god that was a very significant question and and it 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 laid open the heart and soul of the person who asked it it laid open the heart and soul and it revealed the desires of the person's heart and this is exactly the question that was asked in Mark chapter 12. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse number 28. Verse number 20, starting at verse number 28, the, if, you are, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back of the, the seats. You can pick up a Bible, and, um, and we'll look at um, page 824 if you are very, very new to the Bible. So you have been going through the book of Mark, and over the last several weeks, you have seen Jesus is on his way, his last, the last week of his life, and Mark does an amazing thing that, that a third of the book of Mark is about Jesus headed to Jerusalem. And so you are, we are, we are in the last week of his life, chapters 11 and 12, is filled with opposition that is the religious leaders are opposing Jesus and they're asking questions to test and trap him. So you've gone through and you've had the question about, um, the, about taxes and Jesus answers the question. Last week, you heard Tom talk about the, the, how the Sadducees ask questions about levirate marriage and whose wife would she be after seven times. And Jesus says, well, since you asked the question, let me teach you a little bit about heaven. Let me teach you a little bit about the resurrection. You, you're proving that you don't understand the, the scriptures and you're proving that you don't understand the power of God. And so now Jesus asked, is asked a, the last question before he goes on the offensive next week when he asks about David and Messiah. And so, so Jesus uh, is, is posed this question in verse number 28, and this is, what it, this is what it says. One of the teachers of the law, now when we say one of the teachers of the law, we're talking about a scribe, and the scribe was either, a, could be a Sadducee or a Pharisee. Matthew tells us that he's a Pharisee. And so one of the teachers of the law, one of the scribes, and they were called scribes or interpreters of the law or lawyers, not in the legal sense, lawyers, but in the Bible interpretation, Torah interpretation sense, lawyers. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. That is, heard Jesus debating with all of the Herodians and the Pharisees, but in the immediate context, heard him debating with the Sadducees. That is, just, he just finished talking to, talking to them about resurrection and marriage. Heard them debating, and so noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, again, every answer that Jesus gave, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees were good answers. In fact, the answers silenced them. And so noticing that he gave, uh, that Jesus had given them a a good answer, he asked. Now, again, I don't know what drove this scribe to ask this question. I, I believe in my heart of hearts, there's a desire that he wanted to know. He wanted to know, what is the most simple way that I can love God? And I believe that's the same thing that you and I ask all the time. We are saddled with rules and rituals and regulations and deep in our hearts, all we want to know is, how do I love God? How do I do this thing that we get up every Sunday morning to do? We come and sing songs and we read the Bible and we have our quiet time during the week and it feels as if we are not making any progress. The chains are not moving. There are no first downs in our lives. And so we asked the question, Marvin, Tom, Jim, how do we love God? And how do we love God well? And he asked this question he asked, of all the commandments, now this is Mark's audience and the audience that's listening to this man ask this question would have understood exactly what he was talking about. When he says, of all the commandments, he's not talking about the 10 commandments. He is talking about uh, what they had isolated, rabbis had isolated 613 commandments that was um, that, that strewn throughout Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So he is saying, out of all of those commandments, the 613, 365 to the negative, and 248 to the positive, out of all those commandments, which is the most important? Which is the greatest? Now, what Jesus is, what, what this man is asking, what this man is at, he's, he's asking a very, very significant question. This is a debate that was happening throughout this culture. They wanted to be able to whittle down all 613 commandments because there's no way you could keep all 613. So give me the basics. Give me what it takes to love God and, 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 and be okay. So out of all, can you, can you take all 613 and tell me at least one or two that would help me know how to worship and love God? So now when he says the most important, he is talking about, uh, he is not saying that there are some that are important and some that are not important. What he's actually saying is, can you tell me which ones? which one is the most weighty? Which one, if we don't do it, there are dire consequences. This is, the, this is what he's asking. Even more so, what he's asking, he's asking Jesus to declare himself. Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, the person who actually does these commands and actually teaches other to do them, that person will be great in the kingdom. The person who does not do these commands, all of the commands and teaches others not to do them, that, will, that person will be the least in the kingdom. And so what this man is asking Jesus to do, declare yourself. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you're asking. Tell me what your teaching is. It says, out of all the commands, which is the most important? Which is the most important? This is, again, this is, a, again, a significant significant question that this man is asking that I think all of us are asking as well. And so Jesus responds. He wastes no time in responding to the man. He says, the most important one, the weighty one, the goat, the greatest one of all times, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. And now what Jesus does, he actually goes back and he quotes the Shema, which is a, um, a confession, a faith confession that every Jewish person would have quoted in the morning and in the evening. He says, hear, O Israel, and this is Deuteronomy, this is Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, this confession, this, this of uh, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one this would have been significant for Mark's audience. Why? Because Mark's audience was a mainly Gentile audience saved out of polytheism, saved out of worshiping many gods. And so Jesus declares to this man, I want you to go back to the basics. You learned this as a child. You quote this every day when you wake up and when you go back, but I'm starting there. I'm starting with the very basic that God is one God. God is God alone. God is master and sovereign over the entire universe. Now, this would have been significant because in a Greco Roman world, uh, the people in Mark's audience would have immediately thought about what the Greco Romans, the Greco Roman ideology, the Greco Roman ideology was this. If you wanted to take, for instance, well, in the Greco Roman ideology, there were many gods and gods for every domain. So if you wanted to take a sea voyage, you would want Neptune on your boat and by your side, because Neptune was the god of the sea. If you wanted to make a speech like I'm doing now, uh, on the Greek side, you would call on Hermes, and on the Latin side, you would call on Mercury because they were the gods of communication. If you were about to go to war, on the Greek side, you would call on Zeus, and on the Latin side, you would call on Jupiter, because you would want those gods by your side. They were certain gods for certain domains. And what Jesus is telling this man, this scribe, and what Mark is in essence telling his audience about Jesus, or telling uh, his audience about God, there is but one God. God is not some some uh, weak God over a narrow domain. God owns the domain. He created the domain. He is the God of the universe. He is the sovereign God. He is the master literally over everything. And he wants his, Mark wants his audience to know that because they are just coming out of polytheism and they needed to know that the God that they're serving, you can call on him anytime. You can call on him for your marriage. You can call on him for your money. You can call on him for your future, for your career. He is Lord over all, and he invites us to recognize him as such. Does this make sense to anybody? Okay, so so, so Jesus begins with the Shema. He begins with this exclusive, unique character of God, that God is not just some weak, narrow-minded kind of being. God is not just limited to one little particular area of our lives. And this is the thing that gets me, that, that, that I have to open my life to, I have to open every part of my life to the sovereignty of God. So Jesus begins, he begins by, by quoting the Shema. He says, the most important one Answer Jesus is this Hero Israel the Lord our God is one He begins with the basics and then he jumps into he jumps into the actual command he says love the Lord your God this is verse 30 love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength now, when he quotes the Shema, the Shema actually does not have mind. Uh, Jesus adds it here, um, and he's not adding to God's word. He's just simply saying that this is all-encompassing. Now, I could go down the list and say, okay, what is heart And that is the seed or the locus of all of our being. I could tell you that. Or soul, inter, that inter-immaterial um, uh, part of us, the very very depths of our lives. I can tell you that, that mind is, that, that God is saying, Jesus is saying, I want you to love God with your intellect, with every part of your mind. Think about him. Fill your mind with those things that honor him. I talk about physical, I can, I can talk about, uh, or, or the, uh, all your strength, that is, the every physical part of our body as well as our resources, anything that's physical, that I'm to love God with that. Now I could do that, but that, that would that would end up being redundant. But but the point that Jesus is making here is, is that is that I I Jesus is saying to this man, I want you to love God with all that you are. Every part of you. I want you to love him. Nothing is off limits to God. God has not withheld anything from you and me, and God is saying, I do not want you withholding anything from me. Your mind, your emotions, your physical body. Jesus says, Jesus says, this is the. This this is the first. This is the. Wait. Begin with loving God. Begin with recognizing God is exclusively God and God alone. And because God is God alone, He deserves every part of us. See the interesting thing about this Greco-Roman uh, this Greco-Roman Greco-Roman time, and talking about Neptune and Hermes and Zeus and Jupiter. So, because you had these gods of different domains, you could never give your full allegiance to one god. You had to split your allegiance to Hermes, to Jupiter, to Zeus. You could never, ever love just one God. And so the fact that Jesus says, he goes back to the very basics, that God is one God, and he is one God, and one God alone, and now you don't have to split your allegiance to all of these other gods. You have one God. Now this God wants every part of you. You can now give it to him. You can give him your heart. You can give him your intellect. You can give him your emotions. You can give him your body. You don't have to split duty between God's. He is sovereign. He is Lord. And guess what? He loves you. He has given us every breath in our body. He has given us the houses that we live in. He has given us the cars that we drive. He has given us the children that we have. He has given us the families that we have. He's given us the, the gate that we have, the ability to walk. The, the, for those of you who had a big, you know, for those of you who have uh, like, like a full head of hair, I don't like you anymore, so... He's given you that. And for those of us who have ball heads, he's given us that too. And we des- he deserves everything we have. Nothing is off limits. And yet, at the core of our lives, we are polytheists. we divide our allegiance with our various gods. We divide our devotion, and we give a little bit of our devotion over here to our technology. We give a little bit of devotion over here to our sports teams. We give a little bit of devotion over here to our, to other ideologies in our culture. We give a little bit of our devotion to our political persuasion, and we treat even our political persuasion as God. I may not ever come back here. And yet, at our core, we say we love God, and God is one, and he deserves every part of us, and yet we split duty with the other gods in our culture. Does this make sense to anybody? Is anybody feeling uncomfortable right now? Okay, good. So it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I love the way one pastor put it. And I want to share these questions with you. Um, so, So when we talk about loving God, we're talking about having him as our prized relationship, our most cherished relationship, the one who we pour out our affections for, And again, we're not talking about mere emotional, we're not talking about emotionalism. Emotions are involved. We're not talking about emotionalism. We're not even talking about volitionism. Like, I I don't want to love God, but the Bible tells me I got to love God, so I got to love God. I just, I'm gonna muster up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up my bootstraps and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna sing this song to him, but I don't I don't really want to sing this song to him. In fact, there are some people people right now your volition, your will has you here today. You just got up and said, I'm going to push through this tiredness, I'm going to push through this fatigue, and I'm going to push through this long service, and I don't even know this cat who is preaching today. And I'm going to push through it, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to check the box, and I want people to see that I'm here. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about loving God with all that you are out of emotion, and volition. Jesus is actually talking about something more. This is what Pastor Sam Storms, he points out a beautiful analogy about how a man loves his spouse, his wife, and he gives insight for how we can begin to wrap our minds around loving God. Here's the first question. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Do I have a deep, intense, and abiding affection for the Lord? Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? That I have but one wife, and she's sitting right there. And I'm exclusively hers, she's exclusively mine. There are no others. And I think we have to constantly ask ourselves, we have to constantly take inventory, are there other gods that's vying for my affection? Do I resist or even oppose anything that seeks to do my Lord harm? Now I'll tell you, I'll tell you straight up, if anybody or anything Tries to harm my wife. You got to answer to me. And and if you touch her, like in Jesus' name, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying. You know that that's that's. Th- this, this is this is this is part of what it means that we fiercely fight for the reputation of our God. Says, here's another question. Am I zealous to do with grace, defend my Lord's name and honor? Here's another one that gets me. Do I enjoy spending time with the Lord? Do I do things that please him and increase my joy while being with him? Do I brag on my Lord to others? I think that's a really, really significant question. Because what we talk about most is what we love most. Because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So if, the, if Jesus, if, if, if our Lord is flooding our hearts, it will eventually show up. And what we talk about. And here's another question that is Do I tell my Lord that I love him? And these are questions, again, shaping our mind and our thinking. Do I talk with my Lord as much as I can? Now, I want you to know that this is not, we don't do these things to love God. We don't do these things to get God to love us. We do these things because we are first loved by him. And out of that relationship, Flows this kind of re- this kind of relationship to him, this kind of love to him, this kind of questioning and evaluation and inventory. Am I spending time with him? Do I tell God that I love him? One of the things that how we can how how we can begin to activate love in our uh, the, the at least the, the feeling of love in our minds and our hearts, I would take a, a, a few minutes just to begin to write down who God is and who he has been to you. In the many years that you've walked with him, every now and then we have to become historical and begin to remember how God has kept us, how God saved us, how much God has opened up his heart to us, how God has given us these little, little things to remind us that I see you, that I love you, that you're mine. I had a situation, I uh, went on a retreat, uh, just little things, on a retreat, a men's retreat a couple of weeks ago. And um, one of the things that they, they did, they, they loved to give gifts, about 60 men, they loved, to, the, the leaders of this place love to give gifts. And so in the middle of a, a presentation or whatever, they'd say, hey, I got a gift to give. And so one of the guys, Stood up and again, I wasn't Pastor Marvin. I was just Marvin. He stood up and said, "Hey, I want to give a gift." So he walks over to me and he gives me a two-dollar bill. Gives me a two-dollar bill and said, "Hey, this is. I just want you to know. And, and there's a little sign on it that says Royal Oak. I think it was either. Um, I think it was either a golf club or a casino. Let's go with golf club. All right. So uh, golf club. So so he gives me the the he gives me the the two two dollar bill and says. God sees you as a royal oak, and I just want you to understand that God loves you. Little did he know that I've been collecting $2 bills for the better part of my life. And in that moment, that $2 bill was like, yes, that's cool that that I got the the $2 bill. I was $2 richer, right? But, But the real big thing was I could hear God saying, Marvin, I see you. I see you. I know what you've gone through. I know where you are, and I see you. I see you in your neighborhood. I see you in your marriage. I see you. And every now and then, God reminds us of how much he loves us. And he says, I'm drawing you in to obey me, and I'm drawing you in to love me like I love you. So, Jesus tells this man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love him with your very, your very being. So if you're, if you're taking notes, and just to give you an idea where we are, so the first, the first one is love God supremely. Love God supremely for who he is Love God for who he is and love God with all we are. Love God with all we are, with all we are. Now Jesus goes on, he goes on and he says, the second is this, now Jesus always gives us more than we ask for. The second is this, the man asked for one, why is Jesus giving him two? The man says, what is the greatest commandment? And yet Jesus gives two. It's very significant. So he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, there is no greater commandment, singular, but Jesus gives two greater than these. So so does Jesus not know grammar? Man asked for one, Jesus gave two, and then he says, commandment, not commandments, greater than these. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, if I'm in your notes, love people genuinely, love people genuinely. So Jesus is actually quoting here. He is actually quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where he goes back and he marries Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 with Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. As far as we know, this is the first time that this has happened, that Jesus is trying to communicate something. He is trying to communicate something very important, but let me give you the context of 19, just in case we did not understand what it meant to love our neighbor as ourselves. So the context of 19, the context of Le- Leviticus 19, it actually I'm going to I'm going to I'm not going to I'm not going to actually read the passage because it would take a little bit longer but I'm going to give you the concepts of the passage starting at verse 10 in chapter 19 all the way up to 8 verse 18 where Jesus actually quotes and where Moses says love the Lord uh, or love your neighbor as yourself. So verse 10 of chapter 19, what it means to love your neighbor is, if you love your neighbor, you will care for the poor. Verse 10, you will not steal from your neighbor, verse 11. You will not lie to your neighbor, verse 11. You will be fair in your business dealings, verse 14. You will care for the deaf, verse 14. You will care for the blind, verse 14. You will deal justly with everybody. Verse 15, you will avoid slander, verse 16. You will not jeopardize the life of your neighbor, verse 16. You will not hate your brother in your heart, verse 17. You will rebuke your neighbor when necessary for his or her good and for your own good, verse 17. You will not take revenge or bear a grudge against others, verse 18. And then Jesus says, or Moses says, as well as Jesus says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't leave anything to the imagination what it means to love our neighbor. So just in case, like, like what what does it really mean to love my neighbor? Well, if you steal from your neighbor, that's not loving them. If you lie to them, that's not loving them. If you slander them, that's not loving them. So what is Jesus after? Marrying these two. Here's his point. Loving God expresses itself in loving others. At its core... To show and prove that we are loving God, there will always be a demonstration of my love for other people. So, in your notes, to love God is to love people. And to love people, to love people means all people. Not just my people. So Jesus is saying the two are married. That if you love God, it will show up in the way you love His image bearers. And the way you love His image bearers will reveal how much you and I love God. Does this make sense? So nobody is off limits. So you can say we just can say, well, just can't say, well I, I just I just can't love them. I'm sorry, I just Marvin, I just can't love them. I just I look at them and what they've done to me, I simply cannot love them. Well, now we have to go back to the very beginning. God is one, he's not just a domain over people you and I like. He is actually Lord over every image bearer, and everybody doesn't know it yet, and God says, if you love me, I am going to empower you to love other people, even the ones who are most unlovable. So let me ask a question. What are your relationships presently revealing what you think about God? Who is God calling you to love well? Is it a boss? Is it someone under your own roof? Is it a sister that you haven't talked to in a while? Is it a brother that you need to send a note to, to either say, I'm sorry, or would you please forgive me? Is it a neighbor that's wounded you? Jesus says, one loving God actually determines the other. And the, the the first determines the second, and the second reveals the first. So we had a, we had a, we have a lady at our church who um, we are going through a um, a, a class. Uh, it's it's a transformation class. We call it the freedom class, and it deals with the junk in our lives. It deals with unforgiveness. It deals with anger. It deals with shame. It deals with a lot of those kinds of things. And what does it look like to know our identity in Christ? And and as we know our identity in Christ, we will live and act a certain way. We will we will reveal our love for 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 other people. And so this one woman. Um, She attends our church, and then she has a neighbor who just started attending our church. This woman over here has been angry and bitter against this woman for I don't know how many years. So this woman goes through the class, and she is now set free. She is experiencing Holy Spirit-inspired transformation in her life. So she says, whoa, I gotta do something about this. There's, un- there been, there's been unforgiveness in my heart, so I need to go to my neighbor whom she has this grudge against, this bitterness against. She goes to her, open, knocks on the door, looks her in the eye and says, would you please forgive me? I have had a grudge against you for years. And I've been angry with you and I've hated you, so would you please forgive me? Now the woman is standing at the door like, who in the world is this? because she is so different. And so the woman who opens the door is so attracted to the transformation that this other woman has experienced, she says, I have to come to the church where this is taking place. And so this woman over here comes to, the, comes to our church and she comes to the class and she reveals this on the first night. Like There's not a dry eye in the room because this woman is taking seriously loving my neighbor, not just my people, and she's taking it seriously so much so she actually goes and says, I'm sorry. So the question that I have to ask you is like, who is that person? Now, I stand on this platform as an individual that, where God has done work in my own heart. Eight or nine years ago, or, or a little bit um, 14 years ago, God asked me, Marvin, do you love me? Say, absolutely, God, I love you. Well, well, then you need to, I, I want you to plant a church. So, no, I'm not doing that. So, so, so again, I, I want you to plant a church. Do you, do you love me? I say, yeah, I, I, I do love you. All right, so I want you to go to first. Before you plant a church, I want you to go to Calvary Church, and I want you to serve there for three years. You mean to tell me, like, like the Calvary Church on the Beltline with all those white people? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'm talking about. There's not very many of them around here, right? That's the one. Because what I'm going to do, I'm going to break you of you saying that you love me and love, and you you love me, but you will love others just the ones you want to love. And so while I was here, God broke some stuff in me. He broke prejudice and racism in me. He broke that stuff in me so that I could actually go and plant the church or help plant the church tabernacle and then now to be the lead pastor in a predominantly white church. God says, I want, what it means to love people is not just your people. Because I wanted to plant a church. I wanted, to plant a black, I wanted to plant a church full of black people. That's what I wanted because black people, I, I want, black people need the gospel. Black people need to know how to be discipled. I, I, that's what I wanted to do. And God says, if I'm the master of every domain, if I am sovereign of every domain, will you give me this area as well? So the question is, Are you just loving your people, the ones who are 50 and 60, the ones who are white, the ones who are in the same socioeconomic background as you are? Are you just loving your people, or are you loving God's people, whoever God calls to be neighbor? So So Jesus goes on, and he finishes this up. So this the scribe says, well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. Uh, to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings. Now, this is very interesting that he adds this. He gives Jesus a compliment. He said, man, you're a good teacher. Wow, you are a great teacher. I'm quite sure Jesus is saying... Yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. I, 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 like, like I know that. Like, I'm God. He didn't, he didn't really say that, but I'm just saying. I'm quite sure he's thinking that. Give, pays him a compliment. What this man adds is very important. He says more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. You know where he's saying this? You all re- actually already know this. He's actually saying this in the courts of the temple. All of the opposition that you've been learning about. It's taking place in the courts and in the, in the temple. And he says this in front of Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and probably as other scribal friends. He is actually saying that Jesus, what you just said, your relationship with God and your relationship with people is more important than all the rituals and duty, religious rituals and duties in the world. And what he is actually saying is, God is more interested in a real intimate relationship and not just duty. My wife is interested in me giving her flowers out of my love for her, not out of duty. And our God is interested in our hearts not just going through the motion. And Jesus says to the man, when Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you are understanding what it means for God to reign and rule over your life. I'll finish with this. There's a commercial that comes on where this Indian guy has been, um, his marriage has been arranged. And he's at the airport, he's there out of duty because the relationship has been arranged. He has flowers to, in, his, you know, in his hands to give this woman out of duty because the relationship has been arranged. She walks off the plane And she is stunningly beautiful. Stunningly beautiful. His duty is now turned into delight. Because he got to see her. And if you are serving God out of duty, And if you are singing out of duty and doing your quiet time out of duty and serving in in ministries out of duty, it's time that we go back and we look at his beauty. We take a look at who he is and his majesty and his power and his love and his mercy and his ability, his righteousness and holiness, and, and it is demonstrated on the cross when Jesus dies. That is the beauty of our Father. So when you feel like you're doing it out of duty, go back to the moment, take a look at the cross, take a look at the blood pouring down, take a look at the fact that that. God died for us so that our sins might be forgiven so that we might have a relationship and when we see his beauty we will serve him out of love we will serve him out of relationship we will serve him out of this sense of delight and not duty I hope I hope you and I don't get caught up in burnt offerings and sacrifices, ritual and dead religion, but that we would have a thriving, intimate relationship with the one who calls us to love him, and the expression of our love for him is to love our neighbor, whoever that might be, and our love for neighbor is, reveals our love for God. And when we delight in him, we'll begin to serve him from a place of love and not duty.